This is Wayne Goldsmith, and welcome to Sports Thoughts. I've spent 25 years traveling the world, working with some of the world's best athletes, coaches, and teams, trying to discover what it is that they do, how they think, and what it takes to be the best in sport. Subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com to keep up to date with my thoughts on sport. Today, I thought I'd look at the global sports industry and talk a little bit about some of the lessons that I've learned working in it for almost 30 years. And I, I was inspired to do this by an email that I got from a parent just a few weeks ago where she said, look, my daughter's interested in getting into sport. Have you got any advice? And I thought for a moment, I thought, well, You know, I remember when I was a young student and thinking about getting into sport, thinking it was all going to be fun and games and working with athletes and it was just going to be this amazing industry based on health and well-being and fun and enjoyment and sport and competition. And sure, there's elements of the industry that are still like that. But I wanted to take a broader perspective and try and explain how the industry actually works from a global perspective and maybe give you a little bit of insight on how you can survive and how you can thrive within this very interesting, very uh, misunderstood industry of sport around the world. The first thing to remember, and I remember my first university lecturer, a guy called Dr. Phil Mosley, wonderful guy, and Phil said, you have to realise that sport is an incredibly conservative institution. And at the time, I was really struck by that. I was a bit confused because I thought, no, 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 sport's all about professionalism and innovation and sports science and people breaking barriers. It's it's the opposite of conservative. But the longer I've been involved in the industry, I realized just how right he was. This industry is incredibly incredibly conservative and it's driven really by the power of anecdote more than it is logic or science, creativity or innovation. It is notoriously difficult to change people in this industry. It's difficult to get people to change in any industry unless they're very keen and committed and understand that it's important they change. But in sport, where we're dealing so often with really passionate, wonderful amateurs, they don't want sport to change. I often say to people, look, when you get into the industry and you're thinking about making it better and being innovative and creative and inspiring change, take a breath and remember that the majority of people that you will meet don't look at it sport like that. They see sport, their local club, their local training group as a safety blanket. They see it as something that's warm and nurturing and comforting and they don't want it to change because the experience of sport for them is very, very different. If you're a sports scientist or a creative, if you're in marketing, if you're in advertising, if you're somebody that likes to make a difference and make an impact, it can be unbelievably frustrating to be in this industry where you're dealing quite often with really remarkable people, but who love sport the way it is. They don't look at it as something that needs to get better or needs to change. They look at it as something that they need to protect from change. And I I can't think of the number of times I've had conversations with people leading sport, 
with people who are empowered and even uh, it's employed to make changes in sport, development officers, development managers who get frustrated at the pushback they get within the industry. It's very normal. It's very natural. It's not just you. It's not just your sport. And it's not even just your country. The conservative nature of sport is something that's common right around the world. So accept that. And let's talk now about how maybe you can work successfully within what is a very, very conservative industry and a very conservative institution. First of all, the way that sport works around the world is what we call trickle-down sport. So usually a national body, a national group, a national association, a national organisation says, we want to make uh, a change, we want to bring in some new rules, some new competitions, develop a new program. So the national body says, let's do this. Then they generally bring in what they call their stakeholders, so people from clubs or states or representative bodies, and bring them all together and say, we've decided that we've got this great new idea and it's going to be called super-duper mega football and it's going to increase participation, improve performance, improve communication, whatever it might be. And they bring everybody down and they say, there's some funding for this program and if you want access to the program, you need to follow our guidelines, our instructions, our policies and implement this program on our behalf. And so if it's a national body, it's then a state or a regional body, then adopt it. They learn about how to apply it. What are the key fundamentals? They then communicate that down to regions or districts who then communicate it to clubs, who then communicate it to participants. And that's trickle-down sport, and that is more or less the standard operating model for sports around the world. And I've got to tell you, it doesn't work very well because at each of those stages, there's miscommunication, there's a lack of understanding, there's personality and political conflicts, there's regional political perspectives, there's what we call watering down or filtering where people might say, yeah, okay, I generally get the idea of what the national body's trying to do, but it won't really work in my area, so I'm going to change a little bit of it and make it work for me, and the messages will be different, they'll be filtered, they might be changed. So trickle-down sport is more or less the way sport is operated on right around the world, but it doesn't work very well. The second thing about the global sports industry is we are notoriously bad at walking in the shoes of other people. And I'll give you a, a great example. I've worked with international federations. I've worked with national federations, national governing bodies, national sporting organisations. We call them something slightly different in different nations. I've worked with state associations. I've worked with district and regional associations. And I've absolutely worked a lot with little clubs, little regional and local clubs. And I've worked with athletes, coaches, parents, and club-level administrators. At each stage of sport, international to national to state, regional to district to club and to the individual, we're incapable, for the most part, of walking in the shoes of the other person. And this is probably the best example I can give. Quite often, an international federation will say, 
The problem with the national bodies around the world is they don't get the global perspective and they only act in their own national interest. Then when you go to work with the national federations, the national federations will say, oh, the biggest frustration we've got is the international federation doesn't understand us and our specific needs. And secondly, the states and the regional bodies aren't capable of seeing the big national picture. Then you go and work with the states or the regions. They will say, well, the national body doesn't get us. They don't understand our state or our region. And not only that, it's the districts and the clubs that won't work in the interest of the state and so on and so on and so on. And it's the inability of people working at the different levels of sport to step out and walk in the shoes of others, either up the chain or down the chain from them and go, what is it that they need? How can I understand that better? Where does this fit, not just in my life, but how does it fit in their lives? And that again is a global, a global way that sport does what it does. We don't get we don't sit outside ourselves and consider walking in the shoes of other people and understanding their perspectives. The third thing I see about the industry around the world is we are compulsive copiers. It's very, very rare that I'll work with a sport, a sporting organisation at any level and I'll go, wow, that is really new. That's so different. You've created that. It's innovative. You're making an incredible difference because you're doing something new and radically different to what everybody else is doing. For the most part, sport is based on copying what other people are doing. And it's very, very common, for example, that a sporting club in one nation when they've achieved a level of success but they're looking for new ideas will travel to another state to another country even visiting another sport and ask them what they're doing and then copy what they're already doing sport generally doesn't take a lot of risks if you remember earlier i talked about the inherent nature of sport being conservative well that nature is expressed through this that we are routinely compulsively copiers of what other people are already doing. And that largely doesn't work. There's a phrase that I love, which is you cannot replicate a system, a program, and an idea that's been created in the context of another place and make it work as well in your own context. So if you're in soccer, if you're in football, for example, in one part of the world, and you travel to go and see how Barcelona do it or how Arsenal or Liverpool do it, if you travel to another part of the world and say, wow, they're the best, this is what they do, therefore if we copy them, we will be the best, and you try and apply it back in New Zealand or Asia or South America, for the most part, it doesn't work. The line I like to use, guys, is copying kills. Copying kills. It's innovation, creativity, passion, and doing things that work for you that really make the difference. The fourth thing about the global sporting environment, the global sports industry, it is heavily political. I can't count the number of times when I've had conversations with people around the world and saying, Wayne, you don't understand the politics here. The politics are really complicated. There's someone who's been in power for 30 years who acts in their own interest and only wants to keep their political power. 
The message I've got for those of you involved in sport is get used to it. The nature of power and money is that people who have power and money want to keep power and money. It's human nature. It's very, very common. And all sports are political. Every sport at every level that I've ever dealt with, be it local level football or swimming or international federations at every stage and at every sport that I've worked with around the world, politics is key. The challenge for you is though, particularly if you're a coach or if you're in a technical area, if you're an athlete, don't allow the politics to dominate your thinking or your practice. Be aware of it. Be aware that not everybody will love you. Be aware of the fact that some people will deliberately put obstacles in your way. That not everybody is as passionate about your life, your future, and what you want as you are. Some people will deliberately and purposefully provide roadblocks for you because it's not in their interest. However, in spite of the heavily political environment that is global sport, people still win gold medals. People still win premierships. People still break world records. People still do remarkable things. So with politics, it's very much of acknowledging that if you're in this industry, you're going to run into politicians, political speak and political issues, but don't let it dominate your actions and don't let it become the overriding principle and practice of what you do. Focus on what you're trying to do, on your own goals and your aspirations and just accept that it's there and deal with it, but remain focused on what you have to do. And the final thing that I run into around the world that I think is something that happens in sport everywhere is what we call the consensus myth. What I see everywhere I go now is that people will hold meetings and discussions, most of the time on Zoom at this moment in our history, and they'll say, what we're reaching out for is 100% buy-in. We want complete consensus. When all the stakeholders on board and heading in the one direction, I've heard all that before. Consensus is a myth. Those of you that have families that are living with two or three children or more know that you can't get a group of family members to agree on, on the toppings for a pizza. You can't get your partner to agree what movie you should watch together on a Friday night. When you go down to the pub or the bar, you can't get everyone to agree what the best beer is. How are you going to get 200 people stretched across your country or spread across your state or right around your club room and say, we're aiming to get everybody together, everybody thinking and acting the same way, everybody to come to a consensus of doing and saying and thinking the same thing. You can't even do it with the people you love and the people who love you in your own home. You have no chance. Consensus is a myth. However, in spite of that, we like to make every possible effort to stop, to look, to listen, to hear, to understand, to be empathetic, to really put ourselves into the shoes of other people, to try and understand their position and their background and their needs and their motivations before trying to get them to understand ours. That's really what works. Expecting, demanding, even in some cases putting in place policies where consensus is enforced does not work. So those five big global sport 
industry perspectives are this. One, trickle-down sport, which is used right around the world in all sports and is largely ineffective. Two, it's our inability to walk in the shoes of other people up or down the sporting chain that limits us where we think it's all about us and that nobody else gets us. Well, the bottom line is that's probably right, but how much time have you spent getting them and understanding them? Third is this industry has a habit of copying what's already in place and trying to make it work out of the context in which it was created, and that largely doesn't work very well. Four, it is incredibly political. Everybody's got somebody in a political power situation who's an obstacle or a barrier, like all obstacles and barriers, remain focused on what's on the other side and either go through them, over them or around them, but just accept that they're going to be there, but remain focused on what you have to do anyway. And five, consensus is a myth. You can't get your children to agree on where you should go for dinner on Friday night. Don't try to get everybody in a sport to completely agree with the one single national perspective. Listen, look, care, love, respect. Find out what other people are looking for and try to work with them and give them something that they can all work with that helps to achieve the overall and bigger strategic initiatives of the sport. Now, in terms of solutions, first of all, focus on participants. Focus on people. Don't worry about systems and models and strategies. Make it part of your daily routine. If you're in a leadership role, if you're a coach, if you're running a club, if you're running a federation, if you're running a national state body, in the morning, ask yourself, what do our participants need? How can I help deliver something for our participants? How can I build stronger relationships with our participants? How do I work about understanding our participants and what they need and give them the environment and the opportunity to experience the experiences that they're looking for? You cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong focusing on the people that really matter, the people who are working at grassroots level to deliver the experience of your sport. They are your sport. So rather than getting too tied up in national consensus programs and national initiatives and worrying about too much about structures and systems and plans and programs, always keep in the back of your mind, or really in the front of your mind, how do I focus on providing better experiences for all participants in my sport today? Secondly, instead of thinking about global perspectives, state, national, leadership perspectives, think about how would I grow my sport from the ground up. Now, stop and think about that for a moment. That's the way sports started. Sports didn't start. They didn't commence as national federations. They started as local people deciding to play together to try to maybe have some social competitions together, maybe to get fit together, to create a little bit of uh, tribalism with groups together, doing things that they love doing together. That's how sport started. Sport was grown from the ground up. We know how to do this. Now, instead of being overly obsessed with the big picture issues, think about the little picture issues. How can you help regrow? How can you help put in place some sustainable 
to some sustainable programs, initiatives that are built from and sustained from the ground up. And number three, as a solution for where we are, look, it doesn't matter what's happening around the world. It really doesn't. It doesn't happen naturally for us to think only about what's going to work for us. But that's the focus, is to ask yourself a question in your club. Well, what works for us? Most people want to look up and say, what can other people do for us? Or what is the national body going to do for us? Or what is the state body going to do to us? That's a really natural and normal thing to do, but break that cycle. What's going to work for me? What's going to work for us? What's going to work for this group here and now in this place with our unique language, our unique geography, our unique culture, environment, history, resources, our unique people? What I've learned generally about the industry is that at its purest form, it's just people coming together to do stuff that they love doing together. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful way to, to work, to live, is just come together with people who love what they do and who are doing what they love. The industry that's grown up around that has distorted it and changed it and twisted it and put in place a whole range of things that really don't necessarily make it better. And in its purest form, what we do is work with human beings, provide them the opportunity to realise their potential, to build relationships between human beings and to share moments and to share situations doing things that we all love to do. And I think particularly now the future of sport is in that space. It's not about coming up with radical new programs and funding massive infrastructure projects. All those things have their place. But where we are now, where we are right now, sport is about building, growing people, relationships and experiences at grassroots level. And if we focus on that, the rest becomes relatively simple. This is Wayne Goldsmith for Sports Thoughts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more Sports Thoughts, subscribe to our newsletter at wgcoaching.com. 